Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash new music industry. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. I have a question for you. Are you investing in your ongoing education? I'm not talking about the education that you get in school. I'm talking about the kind that you get through personal development, through reading books, through listening to audios and podcasts, watching videos, getting mentorship. Is that something that you're regularly engaging in? There's so much great content out there, and if you don't take advantage of it and you don't apply it to your music career, but continue to complain about the fact that you can't make money from music, then you're really just shooting yourself in the foot. I have a special guest on today, and I think you're going to love this interview, and there is a huge opportunity to contribute to your learning, to your knowledge, to your expertise, if you take advantage of some of the things mentioned in this episode. I'm not gonna say any more. Here's my special interview. Today I'm chatting with music business trainer and mentor, Bree Noble. How are you today, Bree? I'm doing great. Excellent, it's great to have you on the show. And I've had the opportunity to read your bio, so I have a pretty good sense of where you're coming from. But for the sake of our listeners, I would love for you to touch on your story and what brought you to this point of founding an online radio station, starting the Female Entrepreneur Musician Podcast, producing the Profitable Musician Summit, and more. Oh, man. Okay. I'll try to keep it brief. Um, You know, I'm a musician at heart, of course, and and my background is as a musician, a vocalist, and a singer-songwriter. I um, grew up performing a lot in high school and every choir I could do and solo competitions, went to Westmont College to get a degree in music and vocal performance. And somewhere along the way, I got practical Mm -hmm. and I decided that I also needed a degree in business. So just in case this music thing fell through, um, which is kind of funny to think about it that way, because I wasn't thinking about, oh, I kind of need the business in order to do the music. It didn't occur to me. I thought these are two separate things. And, you know, this is my fallback plan. So, you know, I kind of because I looked at it that way when I got out of school, I really didn't have any guidance on how to make a career as a musician. So I went ahead and went into the world of accounting and finance and ended up kind of marrying those by being a director of finance at a top 15 opera company, which was a really cool experience. But, um, you know, after working in the corporate world all that time, I just really wanted to share my, you know, my music, my talent and, and just share my songwriting with an audience. And I didn't have any idea how to make that happen. I tried all kinds of weird, you know, weird things, getting together with certain producers that I thought were going to, you know, catapult my career, trying to fit myself into different bands that didn't really match. Um, Never really having the confidence to go out there as a soloist because I didn't know what I was doing, you know? And so I I also thought I needed permission to start working 
as a musician and starting a business, I thought I needed a record label, I needed a booking agent, somebody to tell me that I was now legit and I could now have a career. We now, you know, we now grant you the crown of career, <laughs> music career, you know. And so I was stuck for a really long time. But once I, I left my job at the opera because I had a baby and life was getting super overwhelming. And so I managed to exit gracefully and be at home, do a little bit of work at the opera on the side and really had a little more time to kind of delve into how would I start this music career. And at that point, I finally just got fed up basically and said, you know, if I keep waiting around by now, I'm already 32, you know, life's going to pass me by. So that's when I started realizing, okay, I had all these entrepreneurship classes in school why wouldn't I use all that information that I've learned to build a business? And, you know, even though the stuff I learned in school really didn't completely apply, you know, it had kind of opened my mind to how can I put these things together? And so I just started basically building from the ground up, you know, and and going out there and booking myself and touring locally and within the state of California. And, um, you know, over time, I built a career where I was actually having people call me and ask me to perform. And, you know, I felt like that was the real the real point where I had, quote, succeeded is that now people were calling me and I didn't always have to be out there cold calling and stuff. So during that time, I developed a lot of relationships with other musicians and I just felt called to build a platform that promoted female artists because I thought there just isn't enough out there to promote mm -hmm. female artists and there isn't wasn't enough of a ratio when you listen to the radio or Sirius XM or anything of female artists, even though there were so many amazing ones out there. So I started the Women of Substance radio station. It was an online station, started out on Live 365 back in 2007. And eventually that became a podcast. We went more professional. You know, we had advertising and all that. And after doing that for seven years, I realized I'm working with all these amazing female artists, but a lot of them, like, why am I the only one playing their music? Why don't they have a fan base? Their music is so good. And so I thought, you know, maybe I could take some of what I learned because I understand where they're coming from being struggling and not knowing what to do, not knowing how to build it like a business. I could take some of that information and experience that I had and, and help them. So that's when I started the female entrepreneur musician podcast, started the female musician Academy, which is a membership for female artists uh, to help them learn to market and grow their career like a business. And along the way, like I've met so many amazing other experts in the field. And I decided last year that I really wanted to put on an online conference for for all the people that really couldn't go out to conferences, like myself, really, because I have younger kids. I didn't want to travel. And I understand that a lot of people are in that position. They just don't want to spend the money to go to a conference. And so we decided to put on the Profitable Musicians Summit had 40 speakers. It was amazing. And we decided to do it again because it was so popular. So that's what's happening this year in April. Wow, that's awesome. I mean, there's so many trails I want to go down there. <laughs> <laughs> and 
your story is very relatable to me. And one of the things that you touched on there about being practical, like I've never been terribly practical. I think I've only <laughs> ever spent six months in a traditional job role, only to realize that no matter how hard I worked, I got paid the same minimum wage per hour. <laughs> uh, that didn't uh, suit me very well. So I found out I was pretty unemployable early on. But, you know, friends and colleagues have also pointed out, hey, you actually do have kind of a practical aspect to what you're doing because you're not dependent or like 100% dependent on your music to produce, produce an income. You already always have something else going on. And that's that's very true. And another thing that I wanted to comment on, you know, was the whole thing about waiting for others to acknowledge you, which I think it is a very common trap for musicians out there looking to create a career you know I've, I've often said on this podcast you know the clouds will part some but god will descend and <laughs> the angels will come with him and announce in a booming voice you were meant to play guitar like that moment never happens and even if you go to school it never happens so i love what you shared there no i know it doesn't and i i'm, I'm actually still kind of surprised all the time that people still have this attitude, but it is pervasive and it, I, it may never disappear. I mean, I guess people just still think in 2019 that they need a record deal or they need some, you know, industry decision maker to give them permission. And so, you know, that's part of my big platform and message is nobody can give you permission except yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. You know, Seth Godin has a relatively new podcast called Akimbo, and I think he had an episode called Pick Yourself. I, I mean, mm. I, I think that's 80% of music entrepreneurship right there. If you get that, then you're well on your way to, to achieving way more. Well, I have to go listen to that one. Actually, subscribe to that podcast. I think I missed that episode. Oh, yeah. It was a great little episode. I really loved it. So I think you shared a little bit about what prompted you to start the female entrepreneur musician, but let's just take a deeper cut at that. So what need did you see? What challenge did you see that needed to be filled? Well, you know, it's not like at first people were coming to me and, and asking, there were some people asking me for advice, but I think at first people just saw me as the person that runs a radio station or a podcast. Right. Um, but I mostly saw that there was so much talent out there and I was just, you know, picking this music that was amazing. And then I would go look at their website because especially when I started doing the podcast where I would introduce each song and just say a little bit about the musician and I would go do my research and look at their website and like there would be nothing like they didn't even have a proper bio I couldn't even find their website. They were nowhere to be found online. And so I started to like dig deeper. Like, what is going on here? Why why did these people have like top-notch music and nothing else? And I started to find out that people tended to think that, you know, the whole build it and they will come kind of idea that if they go spend a lot of money and record this amazing album in Nashville then it will attract the right people and suddenly they'll be selling tons of music and be touring around the world or something. And, you know, obviously we know that that's not how it works. So I was finding all these people that had this amazing music and then discovering after talking to them that like 
this is what had happened to them. And they had been, you know, convinced that that would be what would happen if they recorded their album. But now, you know, it's after going to Nashville and all this amazing experience, they went home and everything was the same, except they had a giant pile of boxes of CDs in their garage and didn't have any clue what to do. (laughs) And so I wanted to help them. Oh, absolutely. And I know exactly what you mean. It's the same thing for me, you know, even in Calgary, which is, you know, a, a city of about a million and a half people, which is fairly large, but like it really is kind of the middle of nowhere where mm-hmm. I live. And even here, you know, there is such incredible talent and people do leave here <laughs> for fairly expected reasons. You know, if you're going to make a career in Canada, you probably want to be in Vancouver or Toronto or potentially Montreal if you're into jazz. But <clears throat> You know the opportunity isn't here in the way that uh, that it potentially could be, but like you say, if you had the right mindset or if you knew what to do with those CDs that are sitting in your basement, you could still make a go of it. Especially now that we have the internet. Yes, for sure. Yeah. So I'd love to ask more about uh, the Profitable Musicians Summit, which I understand you have coming up on April twenty second. Is it? Yes, it's a 10-day online event. It starts on April 22nd. We have a live opening party, which is always fun because we have surprise guests and lots of giveaways from our summit speakers. And so it's a really fun, interactive online um, live event. And then we go into nine days of sessions which are pre-recorded, but we release them a few every day. So anywhere from three to five on a day. And um, people, you know, can register for the summit totally for free. Hmm. And we have the summit sessions open for 48 hours. So they can go and choose the ones that they want to see and be able to view those for 48 hours. And um, so, you know, they can figure out which ones they really are excited about. Hopefully they're excited about all of them. Um, they're going to be amazing, but, um, you know, they may have particular topics that they want to learn about and that we try to organize each day around, you know, kind of a theme. So maybe some days will be a little more relevant for you than others, but really there's so much information to be had from speakers that you can see on, you know, the main stage at conferences you know, like the DIY Musician Conference or, um, you know, the ASCAP Expo or any of the really big music, con- you know, even South by Southwest, any of the big music co- music conferences, these are speakers that normally get paid to speak on these stages. And we have them where you can watch them in your own living room and, you know, or in on the go or whatever during the 48-hour period that their interview is open. So, it's, I just think, a really great opportunity. It, we also offer kind of a connection opportunity within our private community during the summit for not only the artists to communicate and talk about the sessions, but also the speakers come in there and they answer questions and um, the people are able to connect with the speakers. So that's a really cool part of it, too. It's almost like being there, you know, being in a room together. Yeah, I love the idea for a variety of reasons. And I've looked at the speaker list and I've gone, oh, I know him, I know her, I've interviewed these two. <laughs> yep. So it, it's funny how like this is kind of a, a small niche in a way, right? There's <clears throat> there's a few experts out there on, on a few different topics, but 
when it, it really comes down to that there's only so many of us to even it, know. It's true. It's true. I have brought in a few people for this particular summit because it's focused on profitability. Some people from the finance niche that, mm. you know, are used to working with creatives. And so, you know, people that normally talk about about like saving money or taxes or things like that, but they work with creatives. So that's kind of cool because it's not all just the same people that that we know. No, I love that too because I will invite guests on my podcast, like people who I've read their books or I've listened to their podcast. I have my coach James Ramco on my show and and he's primarily in internet marketing. He had a lot of amazing value to share on that on that episode of the podcast because uh, his his son is in music, but. I think it's great to bring a little bit of that outside perspective as well. And it's totally valid when we're talking about music entrepreneurship, right? Oh, absolutely. I have to go listen to that one. I love James Shramko. Oh, yeah. Another thing about the Profitable Musician Summit, you know, I'm currently working on a community project called Your Music Matters, and I'm looking to equip musicians with the marketing skills they need to increase revenue from music and have a better quality career overall. So based on what you've learned from working on the Profitable Musician Summit, what advice would you have for me? Oh, my goodness. Um, so, like, for your project? Yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> I mean, being organized, I, I, I'm still never as organized as I want to be. But there's so many moving pieces when it comes to putting on something like this. I mean, we've got... We've got affiliates that are promoting. We've got, you know, speakers that need to be notified about when their, you know, their events, their things are going live. I had to like, you know, set up all the interviews with everybody and make sure everybody, you know, had questions in advance. And, you know, there's just so many moving pieces that you really need to use, I think, some kind of productivity software. I personally like to use Asana. Mm, love Asana. Just to keep, you know keep track of what it is that you need to do and when it's due. And, you know, there's a lot of different deadlines involved. So I guess that would be my biggest advice. And, you know, I, I don't know if you're working with anybody or you're just doing it on your own, but I work with a partner, um, Steve Pal Freeman from the Music Launch Hub for this event. And we have a shared Asana. So we're able to kind of assign things to each other or pass things along, which is, is kind of nice. But we also met probably every two weeks throughout the process and then like now we're meeting every single week just to make sure that everything is ready to you know ready to go and and everything's moving along correctly as we open up the summit for registration and as we we go live yeah that's a great tip and one thing that i have been doing is i've been starting to engage the community looking for you know social media influencers or having conversations and sitting down who should i talk to what feedback tips or ideas do you have for me you know all those kinds of things <clears throat> so i do find it's uh, slow moving at times or sometimes it can be challenging to find the commitment level you need from others to to make right. it work and it, and that's the challenge of the community project anyway it's it's not for profit and so really setting it up in a way that that it seems like an opportunity for others to be involved i think that's potentially the biggest challenge. Yeah. And I think you're right. You know, always remembering when you're talking to somebody about it, ask them if they know anybody that might be interested. I mean, that's how yes. I found some of the speakers for this that I wouldn't have known about or thought of 
is just asking the speakers that I had, is there anybody that you think we need to have on here? Like they're a must have. Yeah, absolutely. That's something that I continue to do. And I've gotten some really cool recommendations and waiting to hear back from, from many of them too. So yeah, I'm going to keep at that. And so what sort of reaction have you had to the Profitable Musician Summit? Oh, last year's summit was, it was so fantastic. We had thousands of people attend. People just really loved it. You know, I've heard throughout the year about how people are still implementing things that they learned. And I think it also introduced people to some, you know, other influencers in the music industry that, that maybe they didn't know. And sometimes, you know, it's not about, it's not always about like how much somebody knows. Sometimes it's about like their personality and whether you mesh. So, you know, if you, if you watch someone's session and you're like, wow, I really feel like we're on the same wavelength and maybe you eventually want to, you know, take one of those, their courses or, you know, ask them to be your coach or whatever, like not everyone is for everyone. You know what I mean? So having kind of this gamut of like 33 people that you can watch and, you know, connect with on some level and be like, yeah, I think this person might be the one that could really help me move the needle in my business. You know, I realize, you know, I'm not always that person for everyone. So it's nice to be able to introduce my community and, you know, all the people that come into my community during the summit to Mm. the gamut of amazing coaches and people that help musicians. Yeah, it's really great to have different teachers. That definitely sets you up for success in the sense that someone will relate to another one more so than the other. Mm-hmm. Um, I, so I love that. And, you know, the whole framing for the whole thing is, is it even possible to be a profitable musician, which mm-hmm. I, which I kind of like, but I'm wondering if that's like a comment that you've had from, from others or if it's just kind of a general branding statement. Um, I mean, I do think that there is a lot of skepticism out there Yes, and there's a lot of people suffering from, you know, the myth of the starving artist kind of thing, or I guess it's not a myth if you subscribe to it, you know, the, the fact that so many people just think that's what it has to be in order for you to be a musician. Like you just basically have to give up your life for your art. And it's almost like being a martyr, you know, and I, I just want musicians to like actually ask that question in their head. Like, am I really thinking this? Am I thinking that, is it even possible? If I am, then how can I turn that around so I can actually, you know, use the stuff that I'm learning here? Because I, I think, and I, I wrote an article about this for Soundfly that's talking about, you know, like before you come to the summit, there's this one thing that you have to deal with or you're not going to learn anything, you're not going to actually take action, and that's if you've got some kind of limiting beliefs around money or if you've got, you know, what I call money yes. blocks, Right. Because there's no way that you can open yourself up to receive and actually follow through on any of this stuff. If always in the back of your mind, like you're thinking, well, that might work for someone else, but that won't work for me. Or, yeah, they're just saying that because, you know, they they think that that we're going to believe them. But we know we know differently, you know. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've been attending a series of seminars since last summer. So I'm kind of looking at the world from, from a fresh set of eyes. And, 
you know, one of the things that I see, whether it's like YouTube personalities or other musicians is, is they often seem stopped by like the easiest or the simplest of things or they, they seem upset or even get panic attacks because of these things, not to belittle any of it. <laughs> I just, it's just amazing to me that what, what people are stopped by sometimes. Yeah. Oh, and so many times it's, it's subconscious. Yeah. You know, right. part of the the article that I wrote is like, you know, if you grew up and, you, you know, with your, your parents always telling you that money doesn't grow on trees, it's a limited resource, um, money is the root of all evil, like things like that, then you might even be believing those things subconsciously and they might be so ingrained in your belief system that you can't actually take action on all the stuff we teach during the summit and you might not even realize why. So, you know, just analyzing the way that you think about money and the way that you feel when people talk about it um, will help you be able to eventually get past those. But it, it takes time because, you know, these beliefs have been forged in your psyche for years and years, right? I think, you know, one of the things that I've been learning is make the commitment first and you can work the rest out later. Mm. And I would love to say I've always been that way. I've definitely, you know, shrunk down as much smaller than that in the past, but <laughs> as much as possible, that's how I look at things now. It's like, okay, am I going? Yeah, I'm going. You know, I went to Vancouver earlier this year. That was uh, a trip that I was planning to go on, and but it was just a few days in the middle of the week. I still had work to do, and I was there for you know the graduation of, of a friend who was who was finishing a, a seminar herself, and I just said I would be there, so I was there. You know, from past me, that's kind of unimaginable. Yeah, sometimes you just have to totally commit, like you said, and figure out the rest later because. If you wait till you figured it out, it'll probably have passed you by. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> and and still on this topic of of money, you know, I think it's so funny that so many musicians talk about how hard it is to make money in music. I have a blog post titled "24 Ways I've Made Money in Music," and that number has just consistently gone up over time. Originally, it was actually 15 ways I've made money in music. Mm, yeah, it's one. You know, one of our speakers this year is um, Randy. Randy Cherko, mm -hmm. and he, you know, he's from the Make Money with Music. They have, have books, they have blog posts, they have just tons of things, and they've literally come up with like over three hundred income streams for musicians. Oh yeah, yeah, and it's most people think there's like three, you know. <laughs> so last year's summit, we actually focused on only on different income streams, and we had thirty-three different income streams. Wow. that we focused on, which, you know, I think really opened a lot of people's eyes to the way that you can kind of build your portfolio of income streams as a musician. You're not just only, you know, performing live or recording, you know, and selling music. There's so many other things you can do. And so, yeah, Randy, during his session, he just covers as many as he can, but there's still like so many that are in their book or, you know, in their newsletters and things like that. So, this is the kind of mind-expanding topics that we try to cover on these summits. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not surprised at all. There are just so many different ways of, of making money, especially online these days. You know, that has really blown the doors wide open in terms of what's possible. So that's cool, though. And, and I think that's encouraging for a lot of musicians to see. 
Yeah. And I mean, to, to your point about putting entrepreneurship and musicianship together and, you know, what you do with this show, like there are so many income streams that are similar to what entrepreneurs do. I mean, I obviously in my business, I have a bunch of different income streams, Mm -hmm. not just one. And so, you know, as musicians start to think like entrepreneurs, they can start to pull in those income stream ideas that entrepreneurs are using. I mean, I know that Randy in his talk talks about things like affiliate income, and I think most musicians don't think about that. Oh, yeah. No, affiliate is something I've been talking about for quite a while now. I think episode 42 of the podcast, of the New Music Industry podcast, I think is when I first talked about it. So totally believe in that, you know, and you're right. It's whether it's advertising or affiliate income or product income, but most musicians just get stuck at live performance or recorded music. Mm -hmm. On that note too, like what are your thoughts on the space that we're in? Like I've received some criticism and even veiled opposition from friends and musicians who seem to have some trouble with the fusion of music and business. You know, they'll say things like musicians are so tired of entrepreneurs yelling at them on Facebook and stuff like that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and and yet, you know, I think it's one of the most important movements that's catching momentum right now. So what are your thoughts and have you encountered any resistance from musicians yourself? That's actually really interesting. I have never heard anyone being opposed to it. Most of the time, either they just say to me, like, I just don't feel like I can digest this right now. I'm too much in the creative space. Or the one I usually get is like, I don't want to have to think about this. I'll just hire someone to do that part. <laughs> You know, and I'm like, no, not really. But I've never gotten any like, you know, I'm tired of entrepreneurs yelling at me on Facebook. I've never heard of that. So that's pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah, most of the time what I get is like trepidation. You know what I mean? Like they know that they need to learn it. They know it's going to make them a better musician overall because they're actually going to have a business. Yes. But they don't know how and that's you know obviously why they're coming to me and they've got a lot of again like limiting beliefs about it like you know creatives can't be business people and you know i'm i'm right-brained so therefore i can't do that other stuff you know that kinds of of limiting beliefs and you know so i just try to talk to them from where they're at because i understand it like before i married the two my music business was totally music and creative focused and I didn't know how to put the business side together and so I was like a split personality almost Hmm. Um, and so I understand where they're coming from and that's why I talk about things like you know we are we are scattered creatives and that's okay like that you know that's one reason why we make such great music and we have such amazing ideas we just have to learn how to harness it and how to create a system, you know, systems and and strategies for working within that so we're not like shutting ourselves, shutting our creative side down, but we're able to actually let in the other stuff and and you know, devote a certain percentage of our mind and our time to the business stuff. Yeah, I found that is totally possible and <clears throat> I guess, you know, it goes back to my reason for getting into this whole space of music entrepreneurship to begin with, which has its roots in, in 2011 when I began learning about 
<clears throat> business and I joined a couple of network marketing companies and I was never successful in them and I didn't stick around in them and, and that, wasn't, <laughs> that wasn't my path, I guess. But uh, what I learned from you know listening to the CDs and reading the books and going to the conferences and events and reading uh, and, and learning from my mentors really stuck with me to where you know that those skills translated very well into being a musician and that when having realized that I wanted to share that with the world that's why I do what I do isn't that funny I think a lot of us have that experience of being in network marketing and being yes. like oh no this is not for me but I did learn a lot you know yeah. <laughs> I have the same kind of experience well it's, it's exactly right I've actually <laughs> talked to some other people in the music industry who said oh no I did incredibly well in network marketing and now I'm doing this and I said oh wow like you're just amazing at whatever you do yeah. <laughs> This is nice to have, but uh, uh, a few general questions. What are some of the biggest challenges you've encountered as an entrepreneur? I would say scaling my business. Ah. You know, I would say that as an entrepreneur, you often get to this place where it's like, if I don't, number one, get some help. I'm going to go insane. Um, you know, so needing to hire somebody and not really being able to have the income yet to hire somebody at the level that is going to make them happy, but hoping that, you know, they'll understand that they can grow with you. And luckily I found somebody that's been willing to do that. Um, you know, cause I, I could not, I could only hire her for, you know, five hours a week or something when we first started. But I knew that I needed that if I was ever going to grow to the next level. And then, you know, trying to decide, like, do you want, if you really want to go to, like, the next, next level, do you want to get an investor or do you want to try to self-fund it? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've actually self-funded myself the whole way. But it's, I think people don't understand what kind of a limb you're putting yourself out on. <laughs> and, you know, they just, they see that like, oh, you're bringing in, you know, your business is growing. But they don't understand that like, it's a bit leveraged, you know. And and I know that it's, it's the plan makes total sense and that it will get me to the next level and it won't be leveraged anymore and, you know, and we'll grow and all that. But I think a lot of people on the outside don't see that. And and especially musicians, I think when they spend a lot of money on an album, they think they're the only ones that have like gone out on this limb and like put all their life savings into an album or something. You know, they don't know that entrepreneurs like myself are doing that too. I so get that. And not being able to hire who you want to be able to hire, you know, that could come from cash flow problems that could come from not having quite the revenue you'd like to have to be able to do it. You know, my business, for the most part, has not been built on debt either. And same thing I went through probably last year was considering, do I, should I get an investor? Should I sell this mm. coin collection? Am I going to start selling some of my instruments? Like, how is this thing going to keep going? And I think... Well, and I think investing investing in yourself is investing in your business. You know, for example, getting coaches, like I you said you had... James Shramko is your your mentor. Yes. Like we, you know, we need to have those people that are ahead of us so we can make sure that we're making sound decisions and and get advice from people that have been there already so we don't, 
make mistakes we don't need to make. You know, those can be costly. And so to me, that's absolutely worth it. But it's not cheap because every level that you move up, the coaching you need is more expensive. And so I'd say, you know, for musicians, I get often, you know, from people that maybe haven't educated themselves in this area, some pushback on I can't afford to invest in, you know, uh, uh, your membership or you as a coach or any, you know, anyone as a coach because I'm not making the money yet. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yes, it's kind of a catch-22 situation. It is, isn't it? If you know that you're a person that when you invest in coaching, you do the work and you make progress, then it's, you know, the ROI is there and it makes absolute sense to make the investment because it's a sound investment. That's a really great point. I love that. And on the flip side of it, what are some of the biggest successes you've experienced as an entrepreneur? I would say, I mean, some little ones that I would just really loved is like, for example, when my podcast won um, most creative podcast in the podcast paradise awards, like, I don't know, it's not even that big of a deal, but just being able to say that I have an award winning podcast, that's, that's pretty cool. Cause when you put a lot of work into a podcast, as you know, you know, and we don't get a lot of return from it, at least not immediate. Um, so that was nice. Um, this last year, I, this last year, this is only three months into the year, but um, in January, I released my first book, which was really exciting. Wow. So, you know, I know for you, you've released a lot of books. So, yes. but for me, <laughs> this well, is my great. first book. So yeah, it's, it, it, you know, I've been wanting to do it for probably two to three years. And finally, actually executing and getting it done, and you know, when you're, when you have to sit down and actually do the writing, it's <laughs> it's a little bit daunting, you know. Yeah. But once you finally get it done, it's you just feel so accomplished. So that was a big one for me. Oh yeah, I mean, writing book is no small deal for sure. And I've had books of of varying lengths, but uh, I've had people ask me, is there any way to speed up the process? And I guess that's kind of the the problem that I've been trying to solve in the last year or so is like, does every book have to take two and a half years? And (laughs) I think the answer is is no. But if you are planning to write a 60,000 word plus book with dense content that and a message that you want to share with the world, I don't think there's a workaround. If you want to reuse the content you've already created and your blog posts and edit it and make it better and update it, yeah, I think that's the one way you can kind of hack it. That's exactly. I mean, I didn't, I pulled a few things. So I had one main like cornerstone content blog post that I used as the framework work for the book, but it needed to be built out a lot, a lot, a lot. So, you know, it was just, it was just nice to not start with a blank page. Yes. And then I did pull in a few um, other blog posts that I had, or I transcribed and then edited some podcasts that I did on particular subjects that went really well with, you know, what I was talking about in the book. So that was nice. It still took a couple of months to actually do all the writing. Mm Mm-hmm but at least I wasn't starting from scratch. That's great. And it's the musician's profit path. That's right. Excellent. So everybody check that out. And while we're on the topics of books, are there any books or other resources that have helped you on your journey? I would say one of the big ones is the E-Myth, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Um, We actually have one of the sessions in the, in the summit is based on the Um, E-Myth. She kind of marries, marries that with how to, do that as a musician. 
how to think about your business as a musician in the way that you can create systems and, and kind of, I mean, you can't really reproduce it. You know, it's not like a, uh, it's not like you have a franchise, you know, in the book they talk about, you know, a pie, a pie making uh, shop and how she yes. sets up systems so she can have more pie making shops or she can have the other people actually doing the work so she can be doing the big picture stuff. And, you know, as a musician, you can't quite look at it that way. So we kind of get into how to apply the e-myth to musicians. Hmm. Yeah, I guess as long as you're the creative force, you're always going to be at the center of it. It's just a matter of what do you actually need to have your hands in. And yes, what- it's all about what can, what can only you do. Yeah. You know, only you can write songs. Only you can do interviews. You know, only you can perform live. But there's lots of other things that you do that other people can do. Working in your genius zone, so to speak. Yes. That's awesome. Well, this has been an amazing conversation. I really enjoyed it. So thank you so much for your time and generosity, Bree. Is there anything else I should have asked? Um, no, other than just to let them know how to go to the to join us for the summit. I would love to have all of you guys listening join us for the summit. We've got things that are helpful for every at every stage of a music career, you know. And also like every level, like if you only want to do music as a hobby or a passion project, I still say, why wouldn't you want to self-finance it instead of having to put in a bunch of your own money? So that's what the Profitable Musician Summit is about, whether you're full-time and want to make more money, you're part-time and you want to go full-time, or you're just a, a, a hobbyist or you enjoy doing it on the side, but you just don't want to have to pour all your own money into it. Why not make it a self-sustaining thing? So um, you can... Just register for your free ticket at ProfitableMusicianSummit.com. And I cannot wait to see you guys inside the summit. Awesome. And people can also find you at FEMusician.com, right? Yes, absolutely. Fantastic. Thanks again, Bree. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Music in this episode was brought to you by Brian Young. Wherever you're listening to this right now, please consider leaving a five-star review and comment to help us get the word out about the podcast.